Hi, welcome to the Wellness Doctors Podcast with Dr. Lorena and Dr. Vanessa. We are both medical doctors who talk about how to optimize health and well-being so that you can be empowered to make better healthy choices, enrich the lives of people around you and join us in the evolution of healthcare. Welcome back to the Joint Dynamics Intelligent Movement Podcast. Today I'm joined with Dr. Vanessa Wong, a psychiatrist. Uh, Vanessa has an interest on top of psychiatry. She has an interest in functional medicine, an integrative approach to psychiatry, where she sort of describes it as a more holistic rep- approach to psychiatry, but also very science-based, very backed in science. Would you care to elaborate a little more on that before we dive into the oh, topic thank today? Thank you. Um, well, thanks for having me here. Thanks for hanging um, out. This is great. Yeah, so Andrew, which we all call Coxie, <laughs> um, has kindly invited me here to talk about what I'm really passionate about, which is mental health and um, my approach to it. So conventionally, psychiatry has been somewhat vilified as just medicating people. Mm. And the, the whole system isn't set up that it's got a strong basis in, in science, right? Nobody takes your blood or takes an x-ray and says, oh, you've got diabetes or you've got hypertension. It's just more, okay, you look you're de- quite depressed. You tell me you're depressed. Here's an antidepressant. I'm like, that's not science. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's so it's kind quite of, objective. It's very objective. And, and people who end up seeing you know, various doctors and over time their, their symptoms change and they start accumulating diagnoses. You know, so it's, it's not as objective, I would say, as other specialties in, in medicine where, okay, we can clearly see you've broken a bone and we can see it on an x-ray or your numbers are going up and down because of certain treatments we do. It's very much to do with what the patient tells us. And there's a lot of psychology behind that. But diving deeper into just the symptomatology, we are now understanding that the brain is actually an organ that is connected to the rest of our body. So when things like stress affects us or when the body is not functioning properly, it also affects the brain. The mm. brain requires it to be, you know, to, to get nutrients from the rest of the body. It needs oxygen from the body. It needs to have a certain uh, a certain pattern and circadian rhythm of doing things. And so those are the things that we're looking into where you know, is inflammation involved? Is uh, the immune system part of what we are seeing? Are we looking at nutrients and how to support the brain better to do its job to its best ability? And so it's a fascinating science when you look into it because it's got the fundamentals, you know, you're looking at the biochemistry, you're looking at the neurology, you're looking at all the things in, you know, the first couple of years of medical school that I've given back to my teachers and now have yeah. to relearn, but also overlaying that on seeing how, you know, conventional psychiatry sees things and you just take a different lens to, to looking at the whole thing and you seem to have a broader view and more tools to help patients, right? So not everybody benefits from medications. Some people have side effects. Some people don't want medication for whatever reasons. And I feel my job is to help them choose what's best for them, not to dictate a, a certain treatment protocol. Nice. So one of the things that you brought up, before we get into so the topic today is we're going to do a deep dive, as, as deep a dive as, say, a 30-minute podcast will allow. Uh, a deep dive into stress and the nature of stress and how to cope and some of the mechanisms around stress. But one of the things that you brought up just then, um, healthy body, healthy mind, vice versa. Do you yeah. remember the, I think, therefore I am, the Rene Descartes, yeah. and where we were, for a period there, we were sort of putting the brain over in one place, then we're putting the, brow, the body over in another place, and then sort of 
it's been a lot of research maybe since 2000 on, especially, uh, what did Maslow say? He was, he's good with a hammer, thinks everything is a nail. Like so a nail, yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, exercise and personal training and coaching and my, my primary strategies through movement and a little bit of nutrition. Um, but there was that, all that research around 2000, which spawned a lot of other research, um, and it was exercise in the brain. But we started to put the, the body back together. So that Cartesian split, yes. um, it seemed, do you think there was a time in, let's say in your field, and was it the turn of the century, around 2000, where we went, hang on guys, whoa, the way we've looked at the body and the brain in this field of medicine, I think we need to put the guys back together. Or is that just someone sitting on the outside, such as me? Um, and reading books such as Spark by John Raddy and, you know, Carla Hannaford and all these books that, that came out around that time. I think if you look at the history of psychiatry, it's been fascinating how it's shifted from very, you know, you know, back in the days, you know, we're talking millennia ago when you were possessed by spirits and there were a lot of cultural um, explanations for why people would behave in a, in a, a sort of out of character way. And then, you know, the most famous of all would be sort of the Freudian kind of theories about how your childhood experiences affected you. And so then it became, okay, we could now look at the brain. We could start testing what different parts of the brain would do. And there was this very rigid concept that a prescribed part of the brain controls your motor functions. A prescribed part of the brain was for thinking about certain things. And to some degree, that's still a very um, foundation of how the brain functions. But then neuroplasticity mm. kicked in. And we realized that, okay, we're born with the brain cells, but we, we don't just deteriorate from the age of 20 onwards, which was what we were told for a long time. Actually, up till the day you die, your brain has the ability to regenerate, to reorganize itself. And that's where the whole neuroplasticity field comes in. Then somebody you know, decided that they're gonna find what DNA does. And now we've got the whole new field of nutrigenomics and mm. how pharmacogenomics also uh, come into play. So I think rather than just sticking to one aspect, we should learn from history and try and improve our model of understanding mental health over time. We shouldn't ignore what Freud said, but neither should we just focus on the latest cutting edge imaging technology and forget that humans also have, you know, their psyche, yeah. they, they have feelings, there are emotions that are metaphysical in the sense that it, it's not, you know, nobody has located where the mind is, right? We know it's somewhere in the brain, but nobody's kind of stuck a point on yeah. a map and go, that's it. Yeah, where do these thoughts come from? Isn't that, now that's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you can dive into, you know, where the thoughts originate and yeah. so on, but there are so many thoughts out there, you know, how do we generate so many combinations of mm. thoughts? You know, there the endless number of thoughts that the collective human species can have. So we are who we are, according to what you're just sort of saying there. We are who we are. There's genetic factors, there's psychosocial, there's physical, there's nutritional, there's environmental. Correct. As well. I remember, yeah. um, was it Eric Kandel said, um, he's... He won, he won the, he shared the Nobel Prize in 2000, his most famous essay, um, you are not your genes, your, your genes are slaves to the environment, your interaction with the environment that will turn your genes on and off. Yeah. And then there was this whole period of time where we were sort of saying, well, we're about 10% according to our genes, meaning my eyes are sort of this funky greenish color because of my genes. Yeah. Whereas, and my height is sort of according to my genes, but there's many other elements, maybe a larger potential of, of who I am, a larger percentage of who I am, is my interaction with the environment. My interaction with the environment, foods that I eat or don't eat, the amount of movement that I do and don't, even the thoughts that I have, 
that will turn my genes on and off with protein. Yep, and that's encompassed in the new field of epigenetics now. Yeah, and yeah. so if we apply that, let's go, go to a topic then. Great. So let's talk about stress. So we're at the moment, uh, we're living in a time where we're going through something called the coronavirus. I'm sure you've heard of it, people. Vanessa and I just had a quick chat about it prior to this. Um, so there's a time where levels of anxiety seem to be higher than previously, because maybe there's job um, instability, there's so many pressures on us from many different areas. So we're, we're living in a time where anxiety seems to be higher, maybe mental health issues are sort of becoming more prevalent, and all of those things, and there's more levels of stress. It's impossible to ignore yeah. at the moment. Would you do a couple of things for me? First, would you break down stress? Can you give me an in-body understanding of stress and maybe some of the steps that happened when I do perceive stress? And then can you break down some stressors and share this great acronym oh. that you threw at me <laughs> as well to give us a good understanding of stress? Right, so I guess people are familiar with the word stressed and stress spelled backwards is desserts. So that's real, trivia number one. <laughs> <laughs> Stressed, spelled zap backwards, is desserts. Correct. So it's good and bad. Is that what that means? Well, that's what some people would say is stress relieving, right? Um, desserts. And we can go into that as well. Okay. But we use the word stress in a mostly negative connotation. Mm. You know, my boss stresses me, my job stresses me, my whatever stresses me. But we don't think of stress as being positive most yeah. of the time. We don't think of stress being what drives us because being hungry is a stress, right? Gravity is a stress. Uh, wanting to connect with people and feeling lonely is a stress, but it's because of this stress and the right amount of it creates a sense of distress in your body. And that's what drives you to do things. Like if I was floating in a perfectly gravity neutral bubble and everything was perfect, I would have no motivation to go to work, to get up in the morning, to exercise, because I perceive some benefit from doing all these things. And so stress, yeah. Well, sorry, anti-gravitational, if we're going back to stress, gravity yeah, is a stress. Look at stress, the astronauts. Yeah, yeah, that, those guys experience all types of, well, atrophy, don't they? So stress yeah. can be a stimulus for growth in some areas, but it can also be a stimulus for breakdown. And yeah. it's according to your relationship with stress and how you interact with yeah. it. Yeah, and, and stress is very much Goldilocks. You can't have too much and you can't have too <laughs> little. Yeah. You can do it for a short period of time, but then you know your body is not designed to do chronic stress. So think of stress as an upside-down U-shaped curve. So we have the y-axis, which is performance, and the x-axis, which is stress. Yep. So if you have too little stress on the left-hand side of the curve, then it dips down. So your performance becomes very low. So someone who has no motivation to get up, mm. who doesn't need to get up, doesn't have to do anything, gets food served on a platter, doesn't have to make their own bed, doesn't have to worry about anything, they also achieve very little because there is no drive for them to achieve anything. And on the other end of the curve where stress is very high, you also have lowered performance because the stress starts to impact the way you can perform. So you're not thinking straight, you're making rash decisions, your, your immune system and your hormones are not coping with the amount of stress. So what you want is the sweet spot between the two where you have an optimum level of stress which drives optimum performance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know this as a personal trainer, you know, if you give too little weight to someone doing their bicep curl, they're not gonna do anything, right? They're not gonna gain any weight if they just have half a kilo. Yep. Yeah, but if you give them 50 and they've never done anything, you know, nobody's going to do, be able to, to just go from zero to nothing. Yeah. So it's a, it's amount of building up appropriate stress to what the, your body is able to cope with at the time. Yep. And it's called stress inoculation. So every time you 
get a little bit more stress, you push outside your comfort zone a bit more, you recover, you become stronger, you do it again, and over time, you can push yourself and perform better. So we get super comments. You gave the example of the bicep curl, um, the, the exercise of choice yeah. for everyone. <laughs> um, you gave the example of the bicep curl. So when you stress the bicep with load, and then you step away and recover, then your body will super compensate. That the, the body says, holy cow, Vanessa's doing bicep curls. She wants to get a sleeve tattoo with her husband's face from his shoulder, her shoulder down into her wrist. And make him smile when and, I do my <laughs> Anyway, sorry. So, so Vanessa, this is how the body works. You feed a stress onto it. The body says, oh, okay, I got you. I'm going to adapt to that stress. So, because I think you're going to do it again. So next time you come back, I'll be ready for you. So we adapt physically, muscularly in that example. But then in the brain also, we can have stress inoculation. So if I stress my body and the appropriate stress and allow recovery, then also the brain cells can quote unquote super compensate. So next time I experience stress, that stress threshold will be buffered a little. Would you? Would that be one way to describe stress inoculation? Yeah, so then I think what you're trying to get is how do people build resilience? Yes. Which is the favorite word of the day, right? Every company needs Let's to throw in... Let's run with it. Resilience, resilience. people. Yes. Um, Scott will be so proud of me for showing <laughs> it in there. Um, but resilience is essentially that. You're stress inoculating, you're stress adapting to the amount of stress, you push yourself a little bit better, and you think, hey, I've done that before, I'm sure I can do it again, and maybe this time I can do a little bit more. And so, you know, with failure comes improvement. You yeah. sometimes have to do things where you, you know, make mistakes or you have to recover and you learn to be smarter about it. And therefore you build resilience. You cannot be born with resilience. So, we, but we need to, let's go back to the Goldilocks. It needs to be in that not too little, not too much, ah, just right yeah. frame, doesn't yeah. it? And that's that U-shaped curve, that upside down U-shaped curve changes over time. Yeah. Right. So it's not static. So if you can have a wider U-shape, so it's not so pointy, mm. then you have more um, more adaptability to different different levels of stress. So you can adapt to wider levels of stress where you can have, you know, really good downtime, but you can also push yourself a lot harder, mm. and you can still maintain that performance. Whereas if you have a very narrow, very pointy U-shaped curve, then it's easy for you to miss that sweet yeah. spot, right? You either feel too stressed or you feel too under underwhelmed, and, and you don't get things done. And then, of course, that can be cumulative as well, isn't it? So just say if I'm, I lack sleep last night, I cut up with your husband, and we just went out and we went dancing, which is a stressor in into itself. Imagine watching Scott and I dance. But just to, we imagine Scott and I, we lack sleep. So that's a stress on our body. This morning, I got up. I was like, oh my goodness, I've got a podcast with Vanessa. I don't have enough time to get enough good food. So I compromise on my food and I eat something that is a stressor on my body. For me, gl gluten is a stressor on my body. I had a yeah. test and it seems as though that test said gluten is not good for me. So that would be a stressor on my body. I had toast yeah. for breakfast and then I took... Caffeine, because, and I don't do well with caffeine. If I'm having a workout, caffeine's okay. If I do have caffeine and I don't have a workout, actually my brain becomes a little bit jittery and I, I have an understanding of what anxiety would be. So that would be my body affecting my brain. Let's just say those three factors. Yeah. Now you throw me into my normal work environment where I can handle stress eight out of 10 with the stresses that come with a normal workout environment. Now I'm a different individual though. You can never step in the same river twice. I'm not in the same river as I was yesterday when I didn't go out dancing with your husband. I did have a proper food, all those things. 
Um, how, how do you work with individuals? So when you work with individuals, and you work with all types of people, yeah. how do you... How do you communicate that to individuals and then how do they follow those rules? Is there little tricks that you... Because that was easy and yeah. that makes sense to you and I, doesn't yes. it? But, but behaviour is very difficult to change in a lot of people. You can map it out, but then often, in my world anyway, you map out, hey, here's some things that you can do better. Yeah. And then next time I see that person, they're like, hey, did you do those things that we discussed you could do better? Meaning sleep, let's be, stay on topic. Yeah. Sleep more, eat better food for breakfast in this example. Um, and don't dance. So much if you're Australian. Pretty stressful. Um, anyway, remove the third one. But let's just stay with those two. How, how do you, what are some tricks that you use? To, a, because it's an education process yeah. as well. So and there's a I, testing process. What I then, normally do is I draw a bucket, right? A pail of water or I pick up my water bottle and go, okay, this is your stress bucket. So I'm holding mine, you're holding yours, right? Different shape, different sizes, different amount of volume that we can hold in our stress bucket, which is fine. We're all different individuals. But learning about how much your stress bucket can hold helps you monitor your response to things. So if you're constantly operating at the tippy top of the rim of your bucket, it doesn't take too much for it to overspill. Mm. And normally I say when it overspills, you get symptoms, whether it's a panic attack or your eczema or your asthma flares up mm. or you snap at your kids, whatever it is, right? It's just gone red line, right? So you can't also have zero in your stress bucket because like we said, zero is also not that good. So what you want is to be able to maintain the level of water in your stress bucket at a comfortable, manageable level right so you have a bit of buffer so that if you were to suddenly experience a lot of unpredicted stress mm. then you have room to take care of that stress yeah and what if you're operating at a very high level and I, I can't stop things from going in right and I have a boss I have kids I have traffic jams I have mm. COVID mm. you need a little valve at the bottom of your bucket that you can turn on every now and then to drip out little bits of the water so you can manage the level in your bucket so I get Can you give me an example of what that valve, would that be a breathing exercise, listening to music? Yeah, so then... What would, you, what would give me an example of the valve? Literally, the valve literally could be... Literally, the valve could be... For you, be, then. Yeah, it could be, you know, yoga, it could be breathing exercises, mm. it could be cuddling up to someone, it mm. could be going out into nature, it could be having a laugh at something very silly, it yeah. could be whatever ticks your box, right? Everybody's different. So mm. I generally give suggestions, but it doesn't work for everyone. So the journey is really for the client or the patient to find out what's going into your stress bucket and what can you do to turn that valve on when you need yeah. to. Because you mentioned, you know, food, diet, exercise, sleep, all those things could be physical stresses, right? And they could be external stresses, but they're also internal stresses or not physical things. So if you draw a two by two box, right? What's physical and external, what's internal and what's not physical. So toxic thoughts, toxic people, toxic yeah. environments, um, self-defeating ideas that, you know, the, your inner voice that keeps saying bad things about yourself. Um, you know, internally, what, what about your gut? You know, what about your hormones? What if you're nutritionally de de depleted? So that's more of an internal physical thing. And, you know, the, the way that you interact with your environment, okay, maybe there are certain things in your environment you can't change, yeah. but you can change the way you perceive them, right? Yeah. Which brings us to the acronym NUTS. Here it is. Here it is. So what is NUTS? So NUTS is an acronym for stress. So if you break down stress into its four factors, 
if there's something that is novel, something that's new, it tends to be more stressful, right? Because you've never seen it before. Nobody's seen COVID the way it is. We've seen SARS, you know, that was kind of yeah. like a, 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 a primer, but uh, we've never seen this scale of disruption, right? So that's why people feel stressed because they don't have any experience to draw on on what to do with it, right? Unpredictability. At the beginning, it was unpredictable because nobody knew whether from day to day the rules were going to change, whether you can travel to visit your friends and family, whether you could go to school or not, and then school's off, and then school's on, and the gym's on, and the gym's mm. off. So the unpredictability also makes people very uneasy. Then the third is T. So T is a threatened to self, right? If something's threatening to you, whether it's a physical sense of safety or whether it's sort of more a, a metaphorical sense of my ego, my boundaries, my personal space, if something's threatening that, you feel something is stressful, right? You're perceiving it to be a threat, essentially. And that's where your animal instinct to fight or flight or freeze kicks in. Yeah. And the last one is the S, which is sense of control. So if I perceive myself to be quite capable, I have a full skill set to deal with the zombie apocalypse, right? I've got it all mapped out. That's good, right? I feel I can take on this challenge. It's no longer perceived as something scary. But if I see myself as someone who's weak and I don't have you know, the, 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 the management sets or I don't have any skills, I can't do anything, then anything could be seen as stressful. You know, if someone's also had bad experiences of so you know, they've been bitten by a dog mm. and now you give them the cutest little puppy, they're like, oh my yeah. God, no, you know, because I have no, you know, I, I feel threatened and also I have no sense of control over the dog because I feel that I can't, train the dog, you know, I can't pat the dog and, and res interact with the dog in the way that I feel comfortable. So if you try and apply this to most things in your life, right? So what's currently stressing you at the moment, Andrew? Whoa, jeez, what's let's, currently let's stressing Let's use that as an me. example. Um, wow, do, do you know what? Actually, some things that stress me at the moment, I find that my days are quite full because we're open again mm. um, and I'm not getting the time in the gym that I would, as in, Literally in my head, I'm this guy that all my life I'm trying to be 80 kilos. I got there when I was playing sport, I was 80 kilos. And I remember thinking, this is amazing, I'm 80 kilos. Now I'm 78, 79, 78. Anyway, what seriously is a, is a stress for me, not a major stressor, but what is a stressor on me is I want to lift some more weights. At the moment, today, for example, my day is really full. And I know that tomorrow my day is really full. And I know that Friday my day is really full. And then Friday night I'm, I'm lecturing from 6.30 to 9.30. So I've seen my week ahead. Literally, this is where my brain is this morning. And I've gone, man, that, that's stressful for me to think that I won't have any Andrew time, the time that I want, because I have to prioritize time with my family, because that's great for me as well. Um, but at the moment, the rest of this week, I don't see windows for me to do some of the stuff that actually makes me feel great. I love to feel weight, lift weights, because when I do, I go in this little nice place where it's just me and I'm not getting a hug, but it's, I feel like the same feeling as when I have a hug, you know what I mean? Post-workout, yeah. that glow, I, I, I crave that. I literally, I crave that. Yeah. So at the moment, if you ask me what is uh, a true representation of myself, bloody upset that I'm not gonna get a good session in this week. I had a great session on Monday and I won't get another great session in this week. That's crazy. So I would say probably you don't have a sense of control of your time. At this moment, for the rest of the week, my, I don't. Yeah, it's not yours. It's been taken over by other people and people somewhat invaded into your 
your private space of this is the time I need for myself to lift weights to feel good, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you feel more stressed. If you actively wanted to do all those things, and you thought, no, I can lift weights another time. You know, there's not so much. Uh, the sense of you know time taken away from you, you can engage in it a little bit better and say, hey, I'm gonna give it 110% in every session I do with my clients, and I'm gonna give 130% at my talk. And so then you embrace the challenge rather than thinking it's subtracting something away from you. Oh, thank you very much. So you can't change the way your timetable is gonna be unless uh-huh. someone cancels on you, right? Yeah. But you can change your men's mindset, your mentality towards it. Right? So why is 78 versus 80 such a big thing? Who knows? Right? The psyche of a man. Without, Here it is. Without it is. exposing your inner weaknesses to the world. So pathetic. My goodness. <laughs> Don't worry. Two, I, I, and you know what? It, Maybe if I put two kilos in my pockets and jumped on the scale, I'd be like, oh my goodness. But it's it's almost like you feel not as strong. Like you, you, you somehow manage to attach a number to feeling good feeling who I want to be. This is my ideal self. This is perfect. You've attached a lot of good words like hashtag amazing to 80 mm. and hashtag weak. Or, By the way, I feel very exposed to you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. To 78, right? <laughs> so rather than thinking, oh my God, I'm at 78, think I have been at 78 before, right? Yeah. I've always been able to get back to 80 and I know the reason why I'm at 78 versus 80. And rather than attaching a lot of judgments to these numbers, just think, it's, it's actually a passing phase, right? Mm. Positive people think of bad things as being very transient, right? Negative people think of bad things as being forever, mm. right? And also positive people take control of their, they take credit for what they've done what really well, right? Negative people tend to say, oh, you know, I got a promotion just because the other guy copped out, you know, not because of my own merit, merits that I got a, mm. a job raise. So it's, it's a little bit of a mind trick, mm. but at the end of the day, if it makes you feel better as a person, why not? Right? It costs yeah. nothing to change your mindset. And every time you change your mindset, your brain's literally rewiring all these circuits that makes you think differently. If you think the same way, and it may be productive, but if it's not, you get stuck in the same kind of thoughts, which generates the same kind of negative emotions, which gets you stuck in the same kind of behavior rut. Mm. So if you can change the way you think about certain things, your brain is literally reorganizing proteins and, and neuron and synaptics uh, connections, then you can generate different outcomes. And you know when positive things generate positive things? It's yep. because you attract better you know, things around you, positive people around you. People gravitate towards more positive energy. So we're hardwired not to be hardwired, aren't we? Our brains, really. We are hardwired. We're very plastic. We're very plastic, but to change the way you think requires a a sense of urgency, right? Mm-hmm. You actually kick in adrenaline when you want to change something. And secondly, you need to really, really focus. You can't just accidentally change your mind. You have to strive to, for example, the example I give is, you know, you've written with your right hand all your life or your left. Yeah. Now I want you to use your right hand or the other hand, the, the left hand to write. And at the beginning, it's, it's complicated. You know what you're supposed to do. It just won't do it, right? Mm. You haven't established the neural connections. So in order to do it, rather than writing with your right hand, which I could do drinking coffee and being on the phone and write at the same time, my left hand requires me to laser focus and nudge out each word. Mm. But that amount of focus is when the acetylcholine kicks in, right? It's your memory transmitters. And it's essentially 
tagging the neurons that are being newly created to say, hey, we need to strengthen these because she wants to do this now. Yeah. And then you sleep and then it sort of cements the whole system a little bit better. The next day you practice again. So in order to change anything, right? Another example, as a personal trainer, you see people with bad habits, lifting weights of all sorts. Yeah. And you try to help them. Mm -hmm. So you're asking them to focus on the teeniest, tiniest little muscle and doing things slowly, inch by inch. Right. If you just ask them to do a compound movement, it's not going to change. So to change ourselves, we need to A, be aware, right? B, have the sense of urgency to want to change it and C, super focus and keep repeating. That's, that's the Hebbian's law, isn't it? Hebbian rule, Donald Hebb, is that right? The neurons that fire together eventually wire together. Yeah, and, and a couple of books I really like is by Norman Deutsch. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Uh, yeah. The Brain That Changes. Yeah, that is a great Brain's book. Way of Healing. So yeah, if you're interested one, about yeah. neuroplasticity. They're I think that ties in with stress because, you know, like we said earlier with your example, it's not so much changing your schedule, right? People like to control the external environment, but at some point you, you can't change everything around you. And mm. it's much easier to control your inner perception of the world. Mm. It's just... It's the only thing you can change, but it's the hardest thing to change. Yeah. I'm lucky I love what I do. Yeah. Hey, can we can we take this a little bit more? Thank you for the therapy session. You're welcome. Far out. What about me? Um, I'm going to be fine, people. I'm going to be fine. Um, can we take this into a proactive approach now? Can we talk about this from a nutritional perspective? Mm. Just say somebody comes in and, like me, <laughs> like me, they played a contact sport and they thought, you know what, I wish I was 80 kilos, I feel stronger at 80 kilos, and I can smack that guy over the other side of the line a bit easier when I'm 80 kilos. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. Anyway, someone comes to you, and there's many things that you do. Um, one of the things that you do from your integrative approach is nutrition, using that as a therapy. Yeah. Can you share some principles behind nutrition and maybe some nutrients that you think are really helpful for people? So just to flag that I'm not a nutritionist by training. Mm -hmm. So if someone requires nutritional support and advice or meal planning, I will refer to someone that I work with or, you know, at least work with some nutritionist or dietitian. But the, the, the theories and, and the fundamental principles remain the same, which is everything your brain does, it has to do because there's a physical structure and the physical structure is there because you ate something. Right? So if you ate junk, what your brain is going to be made up of is going to be junk. Mm. Right? And we have plenty of evidence and studies looking at certain vitamins and nutrients that support brain health. And although there could be some debate around it, I think the safest thing is to get all your nutrients as much as you can from whole foods. Right? Because Mother Nature is very smart at com completing a profile of nutrients that is just in the right proportions. And rather than taking certain supplements, which sometimes if you use it at a high enough dose could cause side effects. And mm. that's where, you know, if you were to take supplements, sometimes you would like to speak to someone who knows what um, interactions that could potentially do or any um, things to be aware of. Um, but that's a great point, And that's when testing can be very powerful. Yeah. So with, sometimes with, I test. Yeah. Sometimes from the history, you know that that's very likely to be, you know, low or deficient in then you say, hey, like, why don't we just start with these? And I think in terms of brain health, I like to start with B vitamins um, because we, we speak of B vitamins as, you know, people think of a multivitamin or B complex. And 
it's great if it's, that does come in a multivitamin, but a multi has a little bit of everything. So there is a difference between taking a supplement to support well-being versus using specific supplements as a clinical strategy. Mm. And so with some patients, I may need to use the latter, which is, okay, you're very deficient, and there are studies to show that these medications don't work as well. If you're deficient in folate or B12, you're not making your neurotransmitters as well if you're lacking in certain vitamins and minerals. Um, your brain isn't going to work so well if you're very low on choline, for example, because your, your brain is you know made up of a lot of fat and then the sheath that goes around the neurons has to be um, well you know protected. Um, some people might have energy problems, right? If you think of your brain as an organ, it needs energy, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have enough energy, your brain's just going to be at a very dim state the whole time. So this, you know, depression is kind of a state of low energy in a sense. You know, you don't want to go out. You don't have the energy to be happy. Yeah. And so if there's an overall mitochondrial or energy issue, then we look at okay, how do we support that? So acknowledging everyone is different yeah. up front. But then there are some principles or some foods. It's a general. This is a general statement, of course. There's always yeah. the danger in saying eggs are great. But then there's some of them raise their hand and says, "Hang on, Andrew. Eggs. I have a reaction to eggs." But if we just go with with general principles on foods that usually come up according to those principles that you just mentioned, especially with the the fat in the brain or the B vitamins. There's certain foods that are higher in those. Do you have foods that you tend to favour? Um, for general population, for general advice? So I would say the one thing to focus on is eating whole foods. Yep. So if it doesn't grow on the land, if you can't fish it out of the sea, then it's considered processed, which there are certain ways of processing that The amount of stuff we can fish out of the sea, that there's plastic. Yes. Sorry, has to be, I know, I, sorry, this is, this has to be an animal that you can fish out of the sea, people, not those plastic bottles that may have something in there. It has to be an animal, sorry, go and, on. And if you dig, deep into it then there's microplastics and you know seafood is is yeah. not exactly safe there's heavy metals and so on but if we're living in a world where okay we're just ignoring all those environmental issues um, let's play that for a while can yeah we, please? Let, let's try and eat the way that nature intended us to eat seasonally yep. um whole foods minimally processed and as many colors as you can find yeah and so they're pretty good rules to follow aren't they yeah if so, you look at your plate and it's got two colors on it, how can you make it better? Add another color, usually that means a, a vegetable. Mm -hmm. I, do, do you sort of tend to say, when you look at that plate, try to get some green stuff on there from a plant, try to get some green stuff, not meat, not green meat. Yeah. Green, green stuff from a vegetable on there. Do, do you favor green vegetables yeah. for? I think, you know, diet nowadays has become a sort of religion. Well, it's of a difficult sorts. subject, it's, isn't it? It's hard to have a conversation at the dinner table without having darts thrown at you yeah. these days. But I would say my personal philosophy is yes. that I would eat things and listen to my body. So if there are certain things I can't tolerate and I've done it repeatedly over time, then that's just not right for you at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. It may your body may change over time and, and yeah. it depends on how you feel. But yeah, eating a plant-based diet, dif depending on how you determine the the the, the word plant-based, yeah. it could be ten percent, it could be eighty yeah. percent. Um, I think it's generally a good rule. So now you know, not talking full carnivores, but you know, even low-level carnivores like you know lions eat grass. You know, mm. they they instinctively know they need a little bit of fiber and plant food in there as well. 
Um, but a plant plant based diet is good. That's right? what you sort of tend I think towards. I I would tend to I love vegetables to begin with. Yes. And so it's not hard for me to make really colorful foods. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I think visually I get stimulated by by having the foods and it actually the visual the smell of everything helps your digestive system. So your digestive system wants to be in a very rested happy place and chilled out place before it can receive food. So they've done studies where they get the same person to eat the same food, but in one experiment they stressed the person out before they ate it, and then the other one they chilled, you know, they gave them something relaxing to do before they they ate the same food, and they do these things called heat maps. So you look at how many genes are turned on and off. It's basically like a a map with green and red dots on it, and so the amount of red dots that get turned on, i.e. the the bad genes that get turned on when this person is eating the same food that is stressed. Is wow. way more than if they were the same person eating the same food but in a relaxed state. So not only does stress mitigate um, digestion, so it affects the way that we digest the food, but yeah. also it will upregulate the amount of bad genes that can yeah. be turned on when you're eating as well. And think about the society we live in. It's not perfect, right? We're all going to be exposed to toxins at some point. But detoxification is also a rested state. So if you're less stressed, your body is more able to detoxify things. So even if you were to eat certain things that are contaminated or you know has got heavy metals and whatnot, your body has amazing ability to detox if you allow it to. That's the parasympathetic response: the rest, digest, regenerate, versus the sympathetic sort of fight, fight or freeze. Yeah. And, and both sides of the the autonomic nervous system is is needed. Mm. But when we talk about everyone being so stressed, you know, you see people. Eating a sandwich whilst they're running to the office, or eating yeah. in front of their screens watching the stock market. Yeah. I mean, imagine all those bad genes being turned well, on. The red lights coming on when you're eating those food in front of it. Yeah. So that's is... a, far out. That's a good takeaway because yeah. the amount of people, like just say, the amount of people that you know, or the amount of people that you see eating. Just say you go to a restaurant, and just say someone is there by themselves. There's a massive chance they're going to be watching something on YouTube, or there's a massive chance they're going to be watching something on their screen. And there's a pretty big chance in the world we live in today that that exposure to that phone or iPad, whatever that device is, will bring an element of stress to them. If they're looking at emails, you never know what's going to get unpredictability going Correct. back to the, the nuts. Or if they're watching something on YouTube and people might have a penchant for fighting, just say, when my wife's away, I watch a bit of boxing on, the, on YouTube and there's no way I should be eating food. Well, because I'm getting all fired up. Here I am with you throwing some punches around jump, and getting a little bit excited, but... That's not the state I want to be in when I'm eating food yeah. to digest. So how to create an environment that's conducive for digestion and detoxifying, right? Just think of back in the old days, you eat in a social setting, right? You say grace or prayers or whatever, you know, non-denominational thing you say before a meal. You just, you just show a sense of gratitude. And science has, again, proven that gratitude is great at prolonging longevity mm. and re reducing chronic diseases and so on. Uh, candlelights, right? So the Danish uh, tradition of higi, which is just having low levels of candlelight flickering, creating sort of this cave den-like environment, um, dimming the lights at the restaurants, um, socializing, sharing food. All these things help you to be very calm when you eat the food. And mm. so you're able to extract a lot more out of the food than if you were eating in a stressed state. So. I'm sure you know we, we all know someone who's very knowledgeable about diet and they they follow their diets quite religiously you know they eat the best clean organic healthy diet 
but they still have a lot of issues. And then it becomes a bit stuck because they're now stressed about their diet and they're thinking, why am I not getting better when I'm eating a perfect diet? Mm. So sometimes with these patients, you know, they, it's not what they put into the body, it's how they put it into their body. Yeah. And so it's changing more the mental side of things rather than just controlling the physical, how many grams of eggs do I put on this yeah. diet and then digging deeper into like oh you know this type of cooking will create carcinogens and this that and the other and then they just try so many diets and they go around so many rabbit holes it, yeah. it's, the whole experience is stressful yeah so something that's supposed to be nourishing becomes a source of stress and the flip side of that if you do eat that chocolate cake enjoy the hell out of it and don't stress about it because you'll turn on more of those red lights yeah and you know so you're going to indulge enjoy it exactly yeah yeah so nature intended you to be able to tolerate stress yeah right if you ate something toxic even you can you can detoxify it mm. if, if someone sprinkled arsenic on that chocolate cake and you ate some okay maybe you feel a bit sick you won't die Right, so... Going back to the Goldilocks uh, example there, ladies and gentlemen, please. Yeah. Not oh, too much. Not too <laughs> Just little. right. The, no, the dose makes the poison. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this is different for maybe someone who has experienced a lot of chronic you know, illness for a long time. Mm. And they may be very sensitive to a lot of food, so they, they will have a more restricted um, you know, repertoire of what they can eat. But then think of that as a restricted repertoire of how much stress you can manage. And if you can not focus on the physical, but focus more on the psychological aspect of how do I regulate my nervous system better so that I will strengthen myself, I will feel stronger, so my sense of control over these things is more, mm. and I don't feel as vulnerable. Wow. Okay, let's, let's recap and then wind this up then. So if I was to take myself over this past uh, chat that we've just had, first thing that come up in my mind is... Understanding the acronym of NUTS. So NUTS, novelty. Again, for me, that one of the things that is stuck in my mind that I've, I've probably repeated five times is the Goldilocks principle. Not too little, not too much, just right in the middle. So Because we do love novelty, don't we? But as long as it's not too much novelty and it's just in the middle, then that's good for me. Yeah. Next was unpredictability. If, if I don't feel I have a sense of control or if I don't know what's coming at me, that's a stressor that with exposure is, is very difficult for me to adapt to and find a positive out of. Yeah. T was threatening. Threatening if I'm in an environment and I, that, that is a genuine threat to my safety and if I don't know the boundaries around that so I feel threatened then that's not good for me either. No matter how many boxing YouTube how to throw a left and right hand that I put myself into, it doesn't matter if, I, if I'm threatened then the stress of that will shut me down. I won't react in a way that could be beneficial. And the last one, the S, was sense of control. Do I have any control over this situation? If I don't feel I have any control over this situation, well then I've gone to the other side of the bell curve and that doesn't work out for me. Correct. Another thing that stuck with me was, is that reframing? Like, let's go back to yeah, my pathetic attempt to be 80 kilos from being a rugby league player back in the day who wanted to be 80 kilos. I got there once playing rugby league. Anyway, so the ideology of my head um, at 80 kilos, so you said to me, Andrew, hey, come on, mate. Is it really that important for you to be 80 kilos? Focus on other things and in some way find a way, because it it's not a big deal, is it, to be 80 it's kilos? It's not, but, but it can still be important to you, yeah. but then what you attach to it, yeah. you can change, yeah. right? So it's it's like hashtagging all your Instagrams, yeah. right? You can go back and edit it. Yeah. 
you may not be able to change the photo, mm. right? Because you've, you, you, that's, that's how it is, is a, a capture shot of that time. Yeah. But if you change the hashtags around it, you can feel better about yourself because, I mean, some people say it's fooling yourself, but hey, if it works for your nervous system, why not? You know? So you can be more agile and nimble at 78. Sounds great to me, mate. Yeah? I love that. And at 80, you can be like really good looking. <laughs> <laughs> win win. Wow, yeah. you're like good at this. Uh, next thing, so it's really important for nutrients. Um, we don't live in a utopian society, but still eat whole foods. Uh, you like to tend towards the plant-based sort of stuff. If there's advertising behind it, usually don't eat it. So And reduce the amount of time from ground to plate and seasonal. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then also that, that last conversation that we just had about nutrition, I think that's super powerful because the amount of people that will sit and eat, staying on digestion and nutrition, the amount of people that will sit and eat and be stressed, maybe habitually, because it's just if you're someone that's by yourself and you don't feel that comfortable by themselves, then you just flip up your phone. Um, that's something that we really need to be aware of because yeah. who wants those? And that's a great image. I'm eating this food and I'm stressed. All these red lights are going on. Those red lights, wah, 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 those are genes that are not that are turning on that are not going to do me any favors. Yeah. Whereas if I'm hanging out with you and Scott and we're having a nice conversation and the, the mood is right and I'm eating those foods, more of those green lights are going to come on yeah. and that's when those, those genes are going to express themselves yeah. that are good for my person. Yeah. And going back to, you know, food intolerances, you know, having done the testing and experience, you know, difficulties with certain types of gluten, I went strictly gluten-free for a while, but to the point where I feel like I'm not enjoying myself on holidays, mm. I'm not being able to share certain yeah. foods. And I thought, okay, I'm not celiac, right? I know I'm not going to die if I have gluten. And I feel stronger now in my body to be able to tolerate something. So then I try. So rather than thinking, oh my God, the test says I shouldn't do this. Oh my God, this piece of you know, bread on my plate is going to kill me. Oh my God, it's going to make me feel horrible afterwards. Even if it is, I think, okay, I know it's going to make me feel a little bit bloated the next day or I may get, get a stomach cramp. But because I know it's no longer novel, right? I mm. predict that I'm going to feel that way, yeah. but I really want to do it. And nice. so I attach positive emotions to sharing that pizza right yeah. with with a bunch of friends and i had a great time and the next day yeah pimples you know bloating <laughs> you know energy everything and i'm like but that was worth it emotionally gonna, it was worth it emotionally huh? it was yeah. worth it and i don't have to do it every day yeah and it was a treat and i am less judgmental about the whole thing i'm not letting my past experiences spoil you know, my, my prejudice around yeah. this, this type of bread. I think social isolation will kill us long before dreaded carbohydrates or gluten will. Yeah, and your immune system knows an when, yeah. when you're isolated or not because we test people's different immune system. If they're in a group setting, you're more likely to catch certain types of, you know, bacteria or viruses and your immune system shifts towards dealing with that. Whereas if you're isolated, you're more likely to get, you know, viral things because, you know, bacteria can't live outside the body for so long. But viruses are kind of like semi-dead. They're like the zombies of the world. So they could live on surfaces for a long time. Yeah. You just have to pick it up, right, and, and, and take it in. So our immune system knows that you're isolated versus you're in a group, mm. and it shifts to help you survive whatever you're more likely to encounter. So our body is really trying so hard to help us survive and stress is your best friend if you know how to harness it. Yeah. 
it's the stimulus for growth, but in the wrong example, it can be the stimulus for breakdown. Do you think that's a good place to leave this? That's very good. I would really like you to share how people can find you if they wanted to, if they listen to this like, well, that was cool. I'm going to listen to this again because there's notes I'd like to take. And then also after the second time I've listened to this, I'd really like to be able to find Vanessa. How would someone find you? Uh, so my website is www.drvanessawong.com. So that's my official psychiatry website. And my office is in Central, just two blocks up. In Hong Kong? In Hong Kong. And uh, our, well, my friend Lorena and I, we have a more wellness approach to health and we have an online presence called anantawellbeing.com. How do you spell that word? A-N-A-N-T-A. -A -A. Ananta. So Ananta means infinity. So it's kind of like infinity oh, nice. wellbeing. Yep. Yeah. Dot com. And we would also share this on our podcast called The Wellness Doctors. The Wellness Doctors Podcast. Yes. I'll find that one for sure. Yeah. That sounds you. great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. And thanks for listening, guys. Speak to you again soon on our next episode of the John Dynamics Intelligent Movement Series Podcast. Have a great day. You can find us at anantawellbeing.com and follow us at anantawellbeing on Facebook and Instagram. If you like our podcast, please give us a five-star review to help other like-minded people find us. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and is not intended to treat or diagnose any medical condition. This podcast and its producers disclaim any responsibility for adverse effects that result from the use of this information. Opinions of guests are their own and are not endorsed by this podcast. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions. We do not make any representation or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Both producers and guests may have direct or indirect interest in the products and services mentioned. If you think you have a medical condition, please consult a licensed physician.